This season of What's Your Story is brought to you by Paystack. If you run a business or you're thinking of launching one, Paystack helps you to accept payments online from anyone, anywhere in the world. Don't have a website? Doesn't matter. With Paystack, you can create a simple and attractive online store for free and all by yourself. You can also create simple payment links and invoices and send them to your customers wherever you chat with them. And they can pay you via card, mobile money, Apple Pay, and more. Paystack also integrates seamlessly with popular e-commerce platforms like Shopify, WordPress, and WooCommerce. And if you're a tech-savvy business owner, you can rely on the Paystack API to create custom and delightful payment experiences for your customers. Create your free Paystack account and join over 200,000 businesses across Africa that rely on Paystack to get paid and grow their businesses. Visit paystack.com technova to create your free Paystack account and start accepting payments online. That's paystack.com slash technova. So if you have like a goal, like or a business that is like realistic, like it's feasible, like you check all these things and it's there and you're trying it and it's not working. I am certain that if you're consistent in that thing and not just like, of course, there's that bit of like, it's, courage is not what it was when we started. We started with Remitance, we started blockchain first, Remitance, digital bank and now payment infrastructure. And that's all part of the consistency. You're consistently looking to what to change. And maybe in two years' time, you might speak to me and we'll, we'll not say, ah, we're no more payment infrastructure, we're a bank. You don't know, right? So this you have to be consistent with the goal and the vision. Like the vision I told you from 2016, 2017, it's still the same vision to today. The modes of delivery can change, but the vision has to be the same. The commitment has to be the same. And then, of course, you, you know, there are so many other ingredients, but I think that to me, that's the most important thing. On today's episode, we talked to Dixon Nusufor, a founder of Corapay. Dixon was born in Nigeria and graduated from Covenant University. He then went on to do his master's in China, where he started one of his first companies. But it wasn't until he started working for the UN before he came up with the idea of Corapay. In this episode, Dixon shares his journey from Nigeria to China, the challenges he faces as an entrepreneur, and the inspiration behind Corapay. So let's listen in and listen to his backstory. Thanks for joining. So I think the first thing I would ask is basically your childhood. I know you were born in Nigeria. Can you tell us like what city you were born in and what your early childhood life was like? Yeah, I was born in the best city in Nigeria, Joss J Town. And yeah, I grew up there, went to my early um, schools, like primary and secondary there, before moving over to the western side of Nigeria. That's um, Lagos, to be precisely, when I was 17, going on 18. Yeah. Um, and then uh, attended Covenant University where I studied information engineering um, and yeah that's it did you always wanted to want to do like IT in school or did you have a different pathway when you were growing up oh no I've always uh, wanted to be to do IT stuff you know then it was electrical electronics at the time that was really so but then um, eventually I couldn't get that at Covenant, I still got electrical information engineering, but I specialize more in uh, information engineering. Yeah. Okay, so you graduated in 2013, and I think so. What was your journey after that? I think you said uh, in your bio you went to China for your next journey. Yes, yes, yes. So I finished school 2013. I immediately went to China 
in 2013. Um, I went for my master's. Um, so I mastered um, international trade in Nankai University. Uh, spent about two and a half years in China as well. And then in the interim, between while I was in school, um, I think I also had another kind of education in India. I spent um, about six months studying um, software engineering in India. So, so yeah, that's my background. Okay, so I'm guessing that this going to China, India, that was your first time outside the country in Nigeria. Yeah. So, what, what was that first kind of experience like getting to China and just basically being engulfed in that culture and that community? Oh man, that was one of the um, that was one of the hardest things for me. You know, just going to a place where you don't have friends, family, and don't speak the language. But then, you know, you you eventually learn and adapt. So it took me um, maybe about a short time, say like a month or so. And then I had to like start learning the language, make new friends, travel around cities in, in China. And yeah, it was one hell of an experience. Yeah, that, that, that sounds definitely like it. Because it, it seemed like even getting to know the culture and everything, I think that's when you started your first business, correct? Oh, no. So, well, you had a my, before this. Before the, what was yeah. your first business? Okay, I started my first business in Jaws, precisely 2005. So, um, at the time, this, this is my very close friend. He still was my partner in Cora. It's called Brian. So, you know, Brian's one of those uh, cool kids that had video games. So, his video game got spoiled and he gave me to fix it. So, I took it and sold it and use it to open a, a store <laughs> and I was 15 I guess so he just jumped in I'm like oh it's my game that built this stuff so I own 50% of it so that's how basically that's how the, our partnership started yes I opened the business center bought a system computer we kind of like born you know like this Nero software used to like burn CDs you see like 700 tracks in one city so I started that I started that stuff at 15 so that was what it was like for me venturing into that and initially my family is like I come from an entrepreneurial family everyone is an entrepreneur my dad my mom everyone my uncles my aunties like you know the standard Igbo traditional family you know my father was a boy boy then he had boy boys then I served with his boy boys in his store so I started like working for him at like 13 right so at 15 i just wanted to like do my own thing so i'll still work during vacations but i'll still go back to the so like i worked for him but i still had my own store so my my store wasn't far from his my dad's shop so i think that was when i started it yes i had printers as well so i could you know i i grew the bit i bought printers so i was doing printing as well at 15 and i was still in secondary school at the time that's fascinating. So, do you think that entrepreneurial spirit actually came to China? Because that's when you started the Lexan mobile business, is that correct? Yeah, so that, there's like a whole full backstory before that one. Because like, okay. China, so after that one, and then I went into Convenant, and then in Convenant I became a fashion designer. So I, I had easily the biggest brand at the time in the school. And my brand was like in couple of other universities, Babcock, Bowen, and in Ghana as well. 
some of those uh, you know Osu University one invest in no one invest in Ghana I forgot the name was it University Legon. of Ghana Legon. Legon. yeah Legon. Yes. yeah yeah it's Legon so so I was um, yeah so I did a lot of fashion so it was doing while doing fashion that I now realized holy crap China is the place to be. And I actually went to China to do business, not to school, to be very honest. But <laughs> a student was the easiest way to get a visa and to leave. But getting a business visa is three months. They send you back after three months. A student visa, like I could be, I could be doing where I could be failing. You still have to renew my visa. You know what I mean? So yeah, yes, very true. <laughs> very so true. I spent. Uh, I was a student there for a couple of years until I got what I was building. So Ligon was out of when I finished Convance. I brought this idea of creating this like student tablets for the school and all that stuff. So I first actually started with um, educational tablets where you imbue the curriculum of the school into a tablet and then students were able to have a portal where they upload assignments, talk to their teachers, have like virtual classrooms. This is at like 2013 I built this. So it was well appreciated by the school kick up the project i did some kind of small supplies here and there at the end the project didn't take off well and then i made a pivot to change into lower devices that's mobile phones and i then started so it was leaks on tablets and it now went into leaks on phones phones sold with, i think the first year we sold about 20,000 devices between alaba international and computer village i had we had the service center in computer village so it wasn't bad it was good but then that time there was like you know i was it was so i was i was struggling to know who i was competing with because at the time it was the early days of techno and techno was just taking over the market and before you turn around there's in phoenix before you turn around there's itel you flip again there's journey you know and they would just they will introduce a new phone that looks exactly like my own and reduce 200 naira and everybody would just return back my phone and you know so it was just fierce competition just for me to fly to china one day and realized that all four companies was owned by one person. Mm. <laughs> Transition. Mm. So I was like, okay, this is interesting. So I couldn't compete. I, I lost money, lost business. I ran in debt. And then after that, I went on to to get a job. So I got a job. I worked a bit at the United Nations Office of Information Technology 2016 slash 2017. And then I got an opportunity to join a fintech in London. And then eventually later I, I then started Cora. So, so so I think one question I would ask is during your time working at the UN, like I think I heard something that you were in, that's where you were kind of inspired to even start your own fintech company. Can you let, let us know just yeah. the backstory about about that? Yeah, big time. So well so in the UN I, I entered the UN as an intern. But I definitely was an intern extraordinaire, right? In the sense that I was working with on a lot of like small projects here, pocket projects there. One particular one, I still remember one of my one of my superiors saying, "Oh, I want to talk to you about Africa." And we started talking about it, and he was talking about international distribution of aid and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I told him, "You know what? Let me do the research for you. Just let me." like he's working on they're working on like projects around Sierra Leone at the time and so many things and I'm like okay look you know what let me let me do the research easy for you so I took on the project on my own and I started doing it and it just kept like I just, it just kept going deeper 
the cost of remittance into Africa was the most expensive. The cost of intra-African transaction was the most expensive in the world. The inoperability between African countries is the highest across the world. Then the disenfranchisement, like the fragmentation and the unbanked level, it was just too high. And at the time, that was when like I just started checking which people were solving this problem. And I first saw Flutterwave, then I saw Paystack, and then I saw MFS. And I was like, only two, three people, and enough in like, come on, there's so much space. So I started like speaking about it. I have lots of like teachings. Like I just took it on myself. I then you know another fintech, like I said, the fintech I worked for found me, saw me speak about it, and they were trying to use blockchain to do it. And then there was a small UN blockchain group we had at the UN at the time. So we started figuring out how to use blockchain to kind of distribute it across Africa. And I jumped on that bandwagon, did it, failed, and then just turned around and focused on, like I just left the, the other fintech I was working for because I wanted to build like a for-profit business because I think it was a bit of like, you know, still that non-profit, still that kind of like helping people distribute more. I mean, I wanted to build like a profitable business that would have economic value. And, you know, so yeah, that was, that's, that was how, um, you know, I found myself doing Quora. Okay, that, that's interesting. So the early beginnings of Quora, I think you started with your your friend and, and business partner. What were the early days like running Quora as far as, you know, registering and even getting getting revenue or money from the, for the business? Like building the business or from an investor relation? Yeah, standpoint. building the building the business, getting investments and then trying to scale and expand. Oh, yeah. One of the hardest things, yeah, starting anything new is really, 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 really hard. So you just it starts very small, and it's also as a black founder at the time. You like what you see, the friends you see now in the African tech space wasn't there when we started. Like you know, so it wasn't like investors coming in. It wasn't like it was very early days. So we used our money a lot, a lot, a lot, and then eventually we got people believing us. A lot of friends and family, a lot of friends and family. So I'm very grateful to that. And then eventually we then got investors. But then in terms of figuring the business out, you know, we're still figuring the business out till today. It's five years down the belt and we're still figuring the business out. So we've not like even achieved or nailed like the proper product market fit, but we're just growing slowly, getting things wrong and changing them fast. I think that's all we've been doing. We get it wrong, we change it fast. We get it wrong, we change it fast. So, yeah. Okay, um, I think I, I read a report that you think that's from the heydays of the ICOs, like the investment instruments using blockchain. Um, I wanted to just get your take on that. Like, how did that go? Because I think you received the most, is it 1 million as far as investment? So we received um, about 11,000 Ethereum at the time, or 12,000 Ethereum at the time. Or, you know, people have different reports on that, but we had different kinds of, um, we raised money in Ethereum. But that was, but that was my initial company you that was the network Quora network um that failed so we wanted to basically wanted to use blockchain to kind of like connect african countries um switches a very very smart idea about terrible execution especially using blockchain or using crypto so we did that we eventually lost the whole money and failed to the ground and then we then started afresh as a regulated payment infrastructure and not like trying to be like you know like the wild wild west of like crypto and all that stuff 
So we then started afresh and then we raised some small amount again from textiles, which we then used to build Cora uh, Pay, as you know today. Yeah. 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 So I just wanted to walk us through the difficulty of trying to raise money, especially, you know, trying to, as you said, is the, the heydays of fintech, especially African fintech, you know, trying to get money from investors. So you got the money from Techstars. Did you also try to raise money from other investors? Oh, yeah. So Techstars just gives you maybe like only small money, like hundreds, less than that kind of amount. So I got, we got most of our next like stores. Again, it was not easy. We had to pitch, 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 pitch all around. So that was basically the process, man. We pitched our lives away and eventually we got, we got the money, you know, um, that we wanted at the time. So, yeah. Nice. So that's what, so the business currently, I think you said it's been five years as of now, if I'm correct? Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think the future holds for Corapi as far as trying to, you know, build and maybe scale across Africa? What does that um, picture look like now? Yeah. So, you know, starting off, like we at Cora, we are, we are building a payment infrastructure company. What does a payment infrastructure company mean? It means that we want to be the first layer of service, um, layer one. We want to be able to like be the a foundational player, more or less more like the operating system for payments across Africa um, and the world at large. And we see a future void of financial service barriers. That's our vision. We see a future void of financial service barriers. And the future void of financial service barriers simply means that we are tearing down daily those frictions within the continent or across the world that allows money to move across seamlessly. At the end of the day, like, you know, we are properly Pan-African. We intend to ensure that the initial things that I saw as the pain point, which is like, firstly, the, you know, the huge fragmentation of the payment space in Africa, the high cost of remittance into Africa, the lack of interoperability across African businesses or African markets or African countries. Those are at our core, that's our heart to solve and we've tried solving it through different methods. We tried blockchain, we failed with our time payments now. We even failed in the early days of Corapay and we just started getting it right probably a couple of years back, you know, just a few years back. So we're going to be trying and experimenting a lot of things as we move ahead. But at the end of the day, that's still our core. From the beginning, we are clearing our purpose. We have clarity of purpose on what we want this organization to be and to achieve in the African market space. And we want to be a market leader in payment infrastructure. And our, our approach is pretty simple. It's a simple Microsoft approach. One person per computer across the world, they built a Microsoft operating system and made it, in, made it so easy to integrate and cheap or rather affordable for anybody that wants to build a system. So ASA, Compaq, HP, everyone can just put it $5, $10, $100 and they are gone. They started manufacturing systems. We're trying to do the same thing payment. We want to take this complex banking stack, complex cross-border stack, complex card issuance, complex bank accounts, and then make that so easily accessible and so affordable to any player in the market, even a dating website, a fintech, logistics, transport, government, whatever you want to do. Embedded finance will be the future and we want to be at the forefront of it such that any business, any fintech can just take our APIs and do with it whatever they will. So that's what we're doing with Cora. 
Okay, that's that, that's really good. A good vision, a good mission. So, just we're just close to wrapping up, but I want to ask you. I mean, you've been on this journey for a while. Like you started in a business at 15, and you started doing various businesses in China. So, I just want to ask if you could look back on your journey so far, and you think about, okay, maybe I could have done something different in this area. Could you look back and see which side you probably would change or do differently? I won't change anything. I won't change anything. I'm just grateful. I won't change anything. Of course, I have regrets. Let's. <laughs> of course, I would have bought Bitcoin at one dollar, right? You know, everyone can. Everyone can say, you know, I would have done this. I would have done that. But honestly, I don't. I won't change nothing. I'm grateful to. I'm grateful for the life journey. So much responsibility. Um, so much has been bestowed and trusted into our our care, uh, from our customers to our staff to our people to families, friends. So I won't change anything. And I'm grateful for for where we are today as a business. Awesome, that's good. Okay, so um, last question, and I ask this question of all my guests. So, some people are probably going to listen to this podcast. You know, upcoming entrepreneurs or people in business. I mean, if you had to give um, one piece of advice to people coming up wanting to build their own business, what piece of advice would you give to them? Huh? The greatest advice, or rather, the greatest experience I have is. There's this popular saying where they say like, rather let me just cut it short and just say, like it's simple. The only advice I can give is consistency. That's the only advice. It's like it will tell you like working hard will, you know, take you up there, but consistency keep you up there. And that's not it. Like no cap. That's the real truth. Like it doesn't matter how good you are, how talented you are, how smart you are, how rich you are, how well funded you are. If you're not going to show up every single day and produce 90 over 100, then forget it. In a rainy day, 90 over 100. In a bad day, 90 over 100. In a good day, 90 over 100. You're happy, 90 over 100. You're sad, 90 over 100. So that's one of the hardest things I figured. Five years, two. I'll call the first two years in Kora vibes on vibes. You know, I'm singing vibes on vibes. <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing those two years. These pure vibes. <laughs> Maybe the first three years gone say five vibes, pure vibes. So like, what will make a company to be vibes and useless in its early days, and then eventually turn around? Simply consistency, committed people to a particular goal, day in day out. You might lack experience, you might lack knowledge, you might lack funding, but if you're consistent with an idea. I give tell you ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, you have results. So, the hardest thing I found in my business career is to see people do things for two years, they quit; three years, they quit; four years, they quit. I was ready to stick to Gora for twenty years. Twenty. If it's not going to be working, I will be on this thing twenty years. And of course, there's that aspect of like, should I be doing something that is totally bad, terrible? And that's why you have to have sense before you build up an idea or something. You have to check if it's feasible. It's like me telling you that I want to. It's like me telling you that I want to um, put a Nigerian man on the moon now, right? Of course, you, Baba just go and sleep. You know, you're not thinking straight. Like it has to be the goal has to be specific, measurable, attainable, reali- you know, realistic and time bound. So if you have like a goal, like or a business that is like realistic, like it's feasible, like you check all these things and it's there, and you're trying it and it's not working, I am certain that if you're consistent. In that thing, and not just like, of course, there's that bit of like, it's, 
Courage is not what it was when we started. We started with Remittance, started blockchain first, Remittance, digital bank, and now payment infrastructure. And that's all part of the consistency. You're consistently looking to what to change. And maybe in two years' time, you might speak to me and we, we will say, ah, we're no more payment infrastructure, we're a bank. You don't know, right? So this you have to be consistent with the goal and the vision. Like the vision I told you from 2016, 2017, it's still the same vision to today. The modes of delivery can change, but the vision has to be the same. The commitment has to be the same. And then, of course, you you know, there are so many other engagers, but I think that to me, that's the most important thing. Staying power. All right. That was perfect. Thank you very much. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Your Story? This episode was brought to you by Paystack, the smart choice for accepting payments from anyone, anywhere in the world. Visit paystack.com slash technova to get started.